0: Good evening. How's everyone doing? Doing good? You sure sound like it. How you doing? <laughs> All right, very good. Well, I want to welcome you guys to week number two of the summer series of mine. I'll welcome you guys tonight. And those listening online, we're excited that you're here. Um, real quick, this is coming up this Sunday. How many excited about this? How many already know what service you're going to? And have already figured out where your parking spot's going to be? All right. Well, you want to you want to take these cards. We got more in the back. You want to invite your friends to this because again, this is not for you. This is for those who don't know Jesus Christ. And so we want to make sure you invite those that um, live in your neighborhood, go to your school, um, work with you, even your boss um, that might help you in the long run. So make sure you give these out to anybody and everybody um, that you can. And um, we are excited about that. And then, of course, offensive parenting is coming up right after that. We get to learn um, some great tactics, (laughs) good tactics on on what it means to to be uh, an offensive parent, basically getting out ahead of the curve and be able to Parent, um, the way God would would guide us. So we are in the second week of Genesis. Um, Here at the mine and the whole idea of this summer series is not to go through the entire book of Genesis That's impossible to do in four weeks So we wanted to just take four different topics that are fairly controversial and when you have friends who uh, Don't necessarily believe in God and the skeptics out there. They typically point to these and so last week We talked about the whole creation narrative and what that was and so we walked through um, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis not two different creation stories, but one creation story. The first, in Genesis 1, uh, or chapter 1, we go through six days of creation. How many can remember, without cheating, how many could actually remember what was created on those six days? I'm an effective teacher, so that's good, that's good. So let, let's walk through that again. What was created on the first day? Well, the earth was already there, it was formless and void. What was, what was created first day? Light, very good. Okay, and, and was the light good? Yes, and there was evening and morning, the first day. What was created um, on the second day? Sky. God separated the waters this way, and in between we get sky. On the third day, God created what? Land. He separated the waters this way. And on the land, what screamed up? Spreamed, that's a mime word. Okay, what, what came about? Vegetation. All right, so day one, two, and three, we sort of built the sets for four, five, and six. So four, what was created? All the stars, um, not the Hollywood stars, but all the stars, the sun, the moon, um, were placed on day four. And, of course, it was good. Day five, the what? The birds and the fish. Yeah, we we filled this piece up. Okay, and then finally, day six, the one that's important to us, what was created? Animals and mankind. Very good. Give yourself a hand. Very good. Um, We talked about the first five um, words and how important they are. In the beginning, God created. Incredibly important um, passage in the Bible because it sets the entire foundation for everything that follows. In the beginning tells us that there was a beginning. And not only was there a beginning, at that beginning was God. Not just God, the Father, but God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The entire Trinity was there in the beginning. But he wasn't an inactive God. He was an active God. In the beginning, God created. Okay, so very important for us to know. We walked through the creation of man. God breathed life um, into man. Um, We talked about all the animals that um, God created and how man, um, Adam, which means man, named each and every one of them, found out that none of them really floated his boat, so God created a helper, and that is woman. Okay, so on um, day six, God created man and woman, placed them in the Garden of Eden, and that is where we're going to pick it up tonight because we're really going to drop anchor on this whole idea of the fall of man. This whole idea of sin. Okay, so let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer and we'll get going. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. We thank you for those who um, traveled here, for those who are listening online. And Heavenly Father, I just pray on that you be with us tonight. I pray that you give us your wisdom. Allow us to see things the way you see them. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we dig into your word, we see your glory and that we give you that glory. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are. I, I, I lift up this Sunday here at Cornerstone, and um, I pray that as people walk away from this Sunday, they will not remember the name Cornerstone, they will not remember the name Michael Irvin, they will remember the name Jesus Christ, and they will be able to mark this Sunday as the day that, that God transformed their lives. And Heavenly Father, I just pray and give us wisdom in being able... Um, to be here. So it's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, turn to your Bible, grab your Bible, turn to Genesis, first book in the Bible, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to be in chapter 3, but we're going to skip back real quick and look at chapter 2. And we're going to look specifically at verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And this is really important. You might want to star it, underline it, highlight it in your phone. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So, first question, why do that, God? Has anybody ever wondered that? Say, God, look, look at everything that has happened in this world because of sin. All the evils, the depression, the pain, the suffering. God, why, why do that? Why, why put? A, why, why not just take this tree out? Or even better, just don't give us that command, and just let us frolic. Just let us frolic naked in the Garden of Eden and just enjoy life. Don't give us that one temptation. How many have ever thought about that? Can I tell you that that messed with me for a long time? God, if you're so loving, and I'm sounding like a skeptic, because I was. God, if you're so loving and you're omniscient, you know everything, you know what's going to happen, why do that? Here's why. It's called free will. In order to have love, in order to have relationship, because as we've said many times, Christianity is not designed to be a religion. It's designed to be a relationship with the creator of the universe. In order to have a relationship, you need love. In order to have love, you need choice. Without choice, there is no love. Without choice, there is no love. Ladies, if your husband was forced to give you flowers on your anniversary, it doesn't mean quite as much. The fact that they have to remember that means a little more. If you designed a robot, you intel people, if you designed a robot and you programmed it to love you, is that real love? No. No. With love comes choice. You need to have choice. God placed the tree there, not, not, to, not to stump, man. He didn't put a big sign, eat at Joe's, eat at Joe's. He didn't do that. placed one tree, one tree in the middle of a lush garden and said, please do not eat from this tree. That's it. You can have everything. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Adam, I love you. Go, multiply have fun, learn, walk with me. But because we serve a loving God, a God who was there in the beginning, who created us in his image, he gave us the choice to not love. And when the choice to not love is there, that when the choice to love happens, it's genuine and authentic, and it's real. And so in order to have love, you have to have choice. That tree was the choice. That tree was free will. Did God know Adam was going to fall? Absolutely. But it had to be there in order for us to have free will. So let's read that verse again because this is going to come into play. Verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, who else was there? Okay, Satan was there. Eve was not there. This is the person that, as we read through it, we go, okay, Adam and Eve got the warning to not eat from the tree. Eve wasn't created yet. Adam was the one that got the warning. And that'll come into play in the future. Someone mentioned Satan. Nobody asked that question last week. When were the angels created? What day was that? When was Satan created? Here's the answer to that. No one actually knows. The Bible's fairly silent on when Satan and the angels were created. But what we do know, it was sometime between day 1 and day 6, or day 7. Sometime in there, God created the angels and the Satan. Most theologians believe it was day 1 in the beginning. There's a passage, we won't read it, but Job chapter 38, verses 4 through 7, talk about the fact that the morning stars were there when God laid the foundations of the earth. Okay, so somehow they were created then. When did they fall? When did Satan in his own pride? And we don't we're not going to talk necessarily about the fall of Satan today, but when when did Satan fall? Well, we do know that it had to have happened after our creation narrative, because at the very end, what did God say about all his creation? It was very good. All the creation, that includes the angels. So sometime between then. And th- this moment, we're about to read, Satan falls. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I believe it was a very short time. I believe it was a very short time. What it was that caused Satan to fall, we don't know exactly. We know he wanted to put himself above God. Um, but we don't know the exact um, me- method of, of that. So let's go to ch- chapter 3, and we'll introduce some characters. And we're going to read read through this fairly slowly. All right, everybody there, Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Okay? So the serpent gets introduced. Now, the serpent had already gone through, um, passed by Adam. And by the way, um, I hate snakes. I've probably told you this before. I hate snakes, hate spiders. Um, Again, I would have... If I was Adam, I would have said evil or something. uh, Snakes, not a, a, a bad enough word for it. And spiders, again... Um, if I was Noah, they would not have got on the ark. They would have been with a woolly mammoth. They would have been extinct right there. Um, so here's the serpent. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. We don't know exactly what the serpent looked like. We do know it's different than what he looks like today, whether he was able to be upright, um, how he was able to talk. We don't know. We know there's several, several spots in the Bible where God spoke through um, animals. And this is a hiccup for a lot of skeptics going, Okay, okay, Chris my uncle, my uncle, my cousin would love to do this. And it's always some kind of secret. So, um, Chris, do you really believe the snake spoke? That's just allegory, right? Do you really believe? And I'm like, well, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, and you can just see the, oh, foolish mortal, you know, the arrogance. And But yeah, I absolutely believe it. And here's why. It is not a far leap for a snake to speak if after what we just studied last week happened. If you're willing to say that in the beginning, God, if you're willing to say, yes, I do believe in the supernatural. Yes, I believe God was there at the beginning. Yes, I understand that. Um, I don't believe in naturalistic evolution because um, I believe that the law that um, you, um, there's the cause and the effect and we have this beautiful effect. What was the cause? And in a naturalistic universe, that law goes undefined. You can't, you can't figure that out. It, it doesn't make sense. The only way to get out of that is when you get to the supernatural. So if I'm going to say, yes, I believe there is a God, and God is supernatural, and God created, he breathed life into everything, then I really honestly have no problem with that God who created the universe making a snake talk. Okay, allowing snakes to talk or, or um, donkeys to talk and I have no problem with the supernatural angel who is Satan um, being able to possess uh, a snake so here we got in the beginning now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made so apparently Satan um, has um, possessed or speaking through um, this created serpent um, Satan obviously has fallen um, at this point listen to what he says And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay? So here's what we need to understand, because this plays for us in today as we get tempted, as we go through temptations in life. And whatever your temptation is, maybe it's something you're looking at on the computer, maybe it's a a temptation um, to cheat or to lie or to build yourself up, maybe it's the fact that hostess is back and you know you're going to be tempted by Twinkies, whatever it is, It always starts when Satan tempts or when demons tempt. Here's how it typically starts. Did God really say? Temptation always casts doubt on God's word. Temptation always casts doubt on God's word. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Question. The woman said to the serpent... We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. So here we have Satan in a little session with Eve questioning God's word. Now Satan means the accuser. When he was created as an angel he was lucifer now he's satan the accuser he's already casting doubt he's questioning god's word eve did god really say this and look how eve starts out eve starts out by saying what she starts defending god okay starts out fairly okay the woman said to the serpent we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. What did Eve do right there? This is the first example in the Bible of someone adding to God's word. The reason why I wanted to start with chapter 2, 15 through 17, is God never said, don't touch the tree. Never said that. And already we see an example of someone adding to God's word. Now, why would Eve do that? No one knows. No one knows why Eve added to God's word. I have my theory. Remember, Eve wasn't there. Adam was there. So it was Adam's job to relay this to Eve. Okay? So Adam was the one that relayed this. And I could totally see this, because I'm a guy and I'm lazy. I can totally see Adam going, all right, let me walk you through this. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're not... Just don't touch it, okay? And then just, he's done. Back Back to Animal Channel, you know? I could totally see that. We do it with our kids all the time. Instead of walking through why, we just say, just don't. Don't touch it. That's my theory. But for whatever reason... Eve added to God's Word. Do not touch it. And as Christians, as followers of God, we get in trouble when we add to God's Word and we get in trouble when we delete from God's Word. She actually deleted from God's Word, too. He said, you are free. She she left that piece out, too. Here comes Satan. You will not certainly die. Who's the father of lies? Satan. The serpent said to the woman... For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Satan is telling the truth there. And you will will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so Satan has managed to twist God's word. He's managed to get Eve to twist God's word. He's casted doubt. He's made Eve think that there is something greater to be had. God is withholding something And the temptation's there. Now, has Eve sinned yet? She has not acted upon the temptation. She has not acted upon the temptation. And then we go, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Those last three words are when sin entered the world. Didn't take long. It's like the Titanic. Man, you couldn't even get across the ocean. Didn't even take long before everything went to the bottom of the ocean, okay? Perfection, lost. Man's arrogance. What is sin? It's acting independently of God's will for your life. That is the classic definition of sin. Acting independently of God's will for your life. Satan convinced Eve that there is a better plan for you. God's withholding something. And, and if you would just do this, you can actually be like God. What was the reason Satan fell? He wanted to be like God. Eve fell for it. And then there's Adam. Do, do, do. We don't know when Adam appeared on the scene. Probably had a bunch of fruit eaten like a pig, who knows? And he came upon the scene at some point in this conversation. She gave some to him and he ate. Now Adam and Eve weren't dumb. Remember that they were created before the fall. They were perfect. Scientists say we have just like a small percentage of our brain that we use, our sense of hearing, sense of sight, smell, just small percentages. The geniuses of all time, the Einsteins of the world, had maybe 10 more percent than the average human. What would it be like to have have access to 100% of your brain? To be able to see things with 100% clarity? The smell, the touch, the sound... Could you imagine the beauty of that? Adam and Eve weren't dumb. I honestly believe when when Solomon asked for wisdom and God granted it, and wisdom biblically is being able to see things the way God sees them. If you have biblical wisdom, you can see things, plans, the way God sees them. I honestly believe God just gave Solomon 100% access to his brain. So here is Adam and Eve, perfect sure they were beautiful not sure if they had a belly button that's for another talk perfect specimens and here comes the serpent possessed by satan the accuser casts doubt on god's word gets eve to twist god's word convinces her that there's something better the grass is greener on the other side She took, what did she take by, what she eat? We don't know. Might not have been an apple, by the way. Doesn't say what kind of fruit it was. But whatever it was, she took some and ate. And by the way, the fruit wasn't toxic. It wasn't the fruit. It was the act of disobeying that brought sin into the world. Satan's brilliant. Satan's good at what he does. He's been around a long time. He has hatred for us. He has jealousy for mankind. He's a brilliant leader. He was able to lead a lot of angels to fall and turn their back on God. And in essence, they went from angel to demon. Demon's just, that's a fallen angel. That's all that means. So as Christians, we got to see this and understand God's plan for our life and how we can defend ourselves against Satan's tactics. I want you to keep your finger there and turn all the way to the other side of the Bible to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. And we are going to see Satan's battle plan. It's a three-fold attack that he has used since the beginning of time. 1 John's about 97% of the way through your Bible. 1 John, chapter 2, and let's start in verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And when, when it says world there, the Greek word means fallen world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and here's three things you need to underline and memorize. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father... But from the world, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Some of your translations might say the cravings of sinful man, desires of the flesh. Three temptations that Satan uses, his three-pronged battle attack. He goes after your flesh, your physical, your physical He goes after your eyes, your mental, emotional, your mind, and your heart, and he attacks your spirit, the spiritual aspect. He goes after our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual. How did he get Eve? Let's go all the way back. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she ate. Satan goes after all three. He goes after God with your mind, your heart, and your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 5. And let's look at verse four actually, because it's hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with the three things that Satan wants to take down. Love God with your physical, your strength. Love God with all your heart, your emotion. Jesus added mind, because in Greek, mind and heart are separate. Love the God with all your spirit, your soul. Satan attacked Eve on all three levels. Satan attacks you. Every sin you can think of will fall into one of those three categories. Every sin you think of will fall into one of those three categories. And he will go after the weakest one. There is no hierarchy. He doesn't care. He wants you to act independently of God's nature and God's plan for your life in any way he can. Wherever the weak spot in the fence is, the wolf will come in. Satan used this against Eve. Satan used this against Adam. They fell. Satan used this against others in the Bible. They've fallen. Satan used this against Jesus. Let's see what happens. Luke chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke, third book in the Bible, or in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Jesus was just baptized by John the Baptist. We see the entire work of the Trinity there as the dove comes down and God pronounces, this is my son. Soon as that happens, watch what happens with Jesus verse or chapter four, verse one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. Now stop right there, forty straight days he was tempted by the devil. A lot of times we, we read this, that and we go, okay, at one time Satan just showed up and, and tempted him three times and that was it. No, Satan was going after him for 40 straight days. We as Christians are tempted all the time. The Bible is very clear there are spiritual forces of good and evil. The Bible in Ephesians chapter 6 10 through 17, talks about a battle plan that we can have, the full armor of God that we need to place upon ourselves to protect us against Satan's schemes, against that three-pong plan that he has against us. We need to put on that full armor. There is a spiritual war, and it's tough, and it's a battle for your soul. It's a battle for other souls. Well, Jesus not only was tempted... He was tempted by the the man, Satan. Because Satan can only be in one place at one time. So those of you who go, oh, Satan tempted me today. Oh, I hope not. That would have been... <laughs> it's possible, but Satan can only be in one place at one time. And I'm going to wager a bet that when Jesus was on the earth, Satan was in one place for the entire 33 years, going at him. So here's Satan himself. Lucifer. What was once the most magnificent angel. Satan, the accuser, now has full access to go after Jesus. Verse 3, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now, Now Satan knew who Jesus was. And if he didn't, God just said it at the Jordan. He's being sarcastic with him. <laughs> if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. What's he attacking him with? Physical. Lust of the flesh. Man, Jesus, you've been out here 40 days. Not much to eat out here. Got to be hungry. Tell that bread or that stone to become bread. Now, look at the difference between how Jesus answered and how Eve answered. How Jesus answered and how I answer and how most of us answer, typically. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus takes the word of God and uses it to battle temptation. That's the defense. That's the defense against temptation. God's word. But you got to know God's word. you got to have it inside you. And again, it's, it wasn't hard. Jesus could have snapped and here, here's bread. He, he did some pretty crazy miracles when he was on earth. Turning a stone into bread is not that hard. And again, Satan didn't even care if Jesus ate. Satan was trying to go deeper. The hunger was just a trigger. Satan was wanting Jesus to do this, act independently of God's nature and God's plan for his life. So he tried the physical. That didn't work. Verse 5, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him I will give you all their authority and splendor It has been given to me And I can give it to anyone I want to If you worship me It will be all yours Here Jesus Here's all the kingdoms Here's all the kingdoms And Satan could have given him that And Jesus could have taken that Jesus was an incredible leader An incredible speaker If he wanted to He could have ruled the world No problem he could have gone his own route, theoretically, and taken over the world. There hasn't been a speaker on earth that has been as powerful as Jesus. And here's Satan, is lying at his feet. Here's all, all the riches, all the kingdoms. Lust of the eyes. Jesus, take it, it's yours. But in doing that, you're going to have to worship me. What does Jesus do? It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Okay, lust of the flesh didn't work. Lust of the eyes didn't work. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy both times. Verse 9, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said. And by the way, this if in Greek is different than the first two. The first two are sarcastic. This Satan's actually... Questioning him. I don't even think you are God. I don't even think you're God. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He's quoting Psalm 91. Now, when I was young, I used to read Psalm 91 every night because my mom was one of those that was, was sort of freaky and I thought demons were going to eat me alive every night. So I would just read Psalm 91. I didn't even really believe in Jesus. I just believed that someone needed to protect me from the demons outside my, my house. Satan is quoting the Bible. By the way, Satan does that. Satan knows his Bible backwards and forwards. Satan is the father of lies but he'll even use half truth. And he'll even use the Bible as long as he gets you. Remember, Satan doesn't win by you joining the occult. Oh, that's not how he wins. He wins by you leaving God. He doesn't care how you leave God if you go to the occult or you go to a cult or you go completely away and become an atheist. He doesn't care. He wins as long as you don't go to God. Jesus, and he brings him up to the very point of the temple. And this point in the temple In Jerusalem is is overlooking the Kidron Valley in other words everyone can see Jesus from here and what's he want him to do throw yourself off now now why why that why is this a spiritual attack he wanted Jesus once and for all to declare I am the Messiah here I go And what a great way to do it for all the Jews to see, for Jesus to be floating down on angels' wings. What do you think Jerusalem would have done in that instant? Um, They would have gone down, and Jesus, that was it. Rome probably would have went, okay, that's all I need. And they probably would have done that. That's the trigger. What's Satan trying to get at deeper with this spiritual attack? And why didn't Jesus? Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't come into jerusalem like that instead oh he came on the donkey okay it's much more effective with angels why because god's plan was the cross but jesus could have ushered in peace and prosperity he could have healed all sickness there would have been no more poor no more homeless no more leprosy Jesus could have ushered in the kingdom. The very thing the Jews wanted, the end of Rome, the Messiah as the head, Jesus could have been that. And we would have had peace on earth, and when the people closed their eyes for the last, they would have been in hell forever. Jesus is like, no, no. Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until the appropriate time. The same three temptations that Satan uses against us, that Satan has used since the beginning of time, the same three temptations that caused Adam and Eve to fall and sin to come into the world, Jesus used God's word. Jesus, even though it would have been easier to eat, even though it would have been easier to be declared king, even though it would have been easier to usher in peace in the world, it would not have accomplished God's plan. This thread that's been going since, or since Genesis 3.15, which we'll get to, that God will take care of this sin. And this thread goes throughout the Old Testament and it leads up to Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, it's God's plan. It's God's plan. I am not going to elevate myself above God. When Satan tempts you, he's trying to get you to be your own God. And I fall all the time, it's hard. Verse 8, Genesis chapter 3. Let's actually go back to verse 7. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Sin enters the world. And from this point on, we have been dealing with sin. We have been dealing with a fallen world. From this point on, we needed a Savior. We needed a Redeemer. We needed perfection to come down and offer Himself up for something we could never do because we were broken. From this point on, we needed Jesus. We needed God to save us. The eyes of both of them were open. Satan didn't lie on that. They understood good and evil. Notice what they became to shame of immediately. Yeah, all the naughty parts. Everything that God said, be fruitful and multiply. Now Satan and sin has cast shame on the very method of that multiplication. They had shame. They understood that they were separated from God. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden on the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called God called to them, "'Where are you?' God knew where they were, by the way. He answered, "'I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, "'Who told you you were naked?' Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Check this out. Ladies, see if this sounds familiar. The man said, "Uh, The woman you put here with me. The woman you. okay? The first blame was not Eve. The first blame was God, by the way. Adam's like, "Uh, yeah, the woman you put here. Yeah, it's not working out. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, okay. She's not immune from passing the buck either, by the way. The woman said, "Uh, yeah, the serpent, he deceived me, and I ate So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, which is the only indication that gives us that maybe he wasn't crawling on his belly to begin with. And you will eat dust. Everything snakes eat comes right off the ground. All the days of your life. And here's the first prophetic statement. And I will put enmity between you and woman and between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel jesus will crush your head that's why i love at the beginning of the passion that's just a boom that was awesome okay jesus will crush your head and yeah you'll you'll sting him that's gonna be to no avail to the woman he said I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. So, women, it's not your husband's fault. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, ...about which I commanded you, you must not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Remember last week. And you will eat um, the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return... Adam named his wife Eve. By the way, trivia question, Eve did not eat from the tree. Woman did. Okay, She now is named Eve. Um, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Here's the first animal sacrifice for sin indicated in the Bible. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said... That said the man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat um, and live forever so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken after he drove man out he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim with a flaming sword uh, flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life that is when sin came into the world Temptation. So as we close, wh- what's tempting you? I know it's tempting me. A lot of the same stuff that I've been tempted with over and over again. How does Satan go after you? How do, how do those spiritual forces of evil go after you? And what are you doing to combat it? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17 Put on the full armor of God. That's how you combat it. Are you in God's Word daily? Can I be transparent with you? I'm a pastor. Most of the time I'm in God's Word is when I'm studying. I need my personal walk with Jesus to be stronger. How's your personal walk with Jesus? God loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. He wants you to follow his plan, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense. That's when faith comes in. Remember the roller coaster? That's when that comes in. Satan wants you to do the opposite. You know what? Forget his plan. Act independently. I've got a better plan for you. Well, not so much. Didn't work out. Man was cursed. Woman was cursed, serpent was cursed, all of creation groans with the curse of sin and is awaiting that glorious day when Jesus comes back. Where are you at with Jesus? Jesus is the Redeemer, He is the one who pays our debt. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe in Jesus? What are you praying for? What are you praying for? When you pray to Jesus, what are you asking him to save you from? I think one of the the craziest scenes in all of history was when Pilate was standing in front of all the people and on one side is Jesus, on the other side is Barabbas. Barabbas. Here's the Messiah and the same people that you were yelling, hallelujah, five days earlier were now yelling crucify because their version of a Messiah was different than what God's plan was. Their version of a Messiah was Barabbas, that instant fix, a guy who's going to go face to face with Rome. And I, and I remember watching The Passion and watching any of the movies and just being so mad. How can you yell, crucify him? How can you do that to Jesus? He came to save you. But then the very next day, as I pray to Jesus, I'm praying for everything that is a quick fix in my life. I'm praying to everything that Barabbas represented and not Jesus. And that's how Satan gets you. Hey, here's a quick fix. Hey, do this. Hey, here's a shortcut. Hey, that's not going to hurt to look at. He's got you. Whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual, he's got you. And so my hope today, as, as we go away tonight, is to reevaluate how far away am I from Eve or Adam? Do I really long ...for the plan that God has for my life in Jesus? Or am I looking for a Barabbas? Am I looking for that quick fix? God, just take fix my finances. God, take this pain away. God, kill that person. Whatever it is, fix it. Or are we willing to humble ourselves... ...and say... ...I trust you. I trust you. Open up for questions. We got got about 10 minutes for questions. If you have any questions... And really, obviously, tonight we're just focused in on the whole sin nature, and we've got two mic runners. So here's one.
1: I was just curious, <clears throat> after they sinned, uh, Adam and Eve, none of them asked, none of them repented or asked for forgiveness. I was a little curious why that why that was. Say what? Neither one of them asked for forgiveness. None, neither one of them repented, so I was wondering why that didn't happen. Yeah,
0: I think, um, I mean, the, the Scripture doesn't um, indicate that, we, we don't read that Adam and Eve went, oh, God, forgive me um, for my sin. I mean, I think they were just getting the idea of what sin was. There's a lot of new things for Adam and Eve, but the Scripture does indicate that eventually they did turn back, um, back towards God, even though in that specific passage we didn't see the repentance right away. We've got, a, we got another runner back there, too. Let's see. I was wondering if there is, if you have a viewpoint on why it was called the tree of life or the tree of knowledge and why it had that specific title versus the other trees. You know, I'm not, I'm not quite sure um, why it was officially called that or why it's been translated that. Um, the basic idea is this is the tree that, that if you, not, even not necessarily eat from it, it's not the act of eating the fruit. It's the act of disobeying. He said don't eat. So the, it's the disobedience that brought sin into the world. And I think it's just basically because as you eat from this, your eyes will be opened. You will gain that knowledge. It's not necessarily a knowledge you want, but you will, you will gain that knowledge. So I think, I think that's why it's referenced that. And again, this tree's not done, by the way. This tree will reappear again in heaven. And there's this whole idea that right now we're in between trees. Everything that was normal in the Garden of Eden and everything that will be normal in heaven does not exist now. And so we're in sort of abnormal stage, a fallen world. And so when we see miracles, it, it, it's, it's God bringing a little taste of normal. This is what it used to be, this is what it will be. Yep. Yep.
1: What I get from, from reading in this is that there were two trees. Mm-hmm. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil that he told them not to eat from, mm-hmm. and they did. Yes. There was another tree, the okay. tree, the tree of life. Yes. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge are two different trees. Yes. So the, the tree, tree of the, life. The tree of it, life is immortality. Correct. He said, it, and God
0: said, if we don't get them out of here, mm-hmm. they're going to eat from the tree of life too. Correct. So they basically the tree of life towards the end there. What you what you see there is God saying that. Um, we cannot allow them to eat from this because this is this is this is the tree of life, and again, that's the tree that will appear in the in heaven that will that will be the, the nourishing tree. But right now, we don't know where it's at. We don't know what the deal is. We don't know where Eden is. To be honest, and we'll talk about this next week when the flood comes. We have no idea what what the topography of the earth looked like before the flood. So where the where the Garden of Eden Eden was, but yes, you're absolutely right. Okay. Last week, when we talked about the days, and the Lord created the earth in the seven days, and you told us it was a literal day, evening and day, that morning. Do we know, or has there been any study of how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before she became Eve, before they sinned? Do we have any idea how long they actually lived there? Yeah, it's a good question. No one, no one knows. We, we do know that the first six days, and there was evening and morning, and even last week we talked about, we can't be dogmatic about that. Um, it, it could have been a lot longer than a 24-hour day. I tend to believe that it was a literal 24-hour day. How long it took them to go from that day when everything was declared good and when they fell, we don't know. We have some hints in the fact that there is no indication of any kids, there is no mention that they laid together or anything like that. So I'm guessing it was fairly short, a short time, in in, in the garden because they were given um, the command to be fruitful and multiply. Well, if it had been ten years since they they weren't doing so well at that command, okay, especially with per, yeah, okay. So the tree, so the tree of life actually existed. Prior to them being kicked out of the garden, I wonder how it is that they didn't find that one and eat from it before. Well, they, they had free access. Yeah. They had free access to so eat from any from any, any tree in the garden. Yeah, yeah. so they could yeah. have eaten from that Yeah, and one. we will have access, which will be really cool, to it in heaven. Think about a couple more minutes? Yes, sir.
1: In the beginning, you were talking about that God wanted us to have a free will. Mm-hmm. In the New Testament there's a Calvinism Calvinistic view and there's yeah. Armenian view. Uh-huh. Right. But yeah. but you know I believe that God does choose us. Uh-huh. I think our, we have our free will as a choice whether we do the right thing or the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't but I do believe that scripture matches up that God does choose us. Mm-hmm. But I just want to want to get your interpretation or your a better understanding of how free will plays from the Old Testament to the New.
0: Hey, I think, um, and you, you just introduced a new series that the mind will be doing next spring. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, um, basically, I, I believe that Adam and Eve had that choice. And we, we see it play out because they chose to disobey. Okay? So they had that free will to, to do that. God did not make them do that. God did not force that upon them. It was their own free will, and it was placed there because as a loving God, he gives us the free will. Because if he would not have given us the free will, then we, I don't think you can have love. I don't think you can have relationship. Okay? And so in that, in that moment, there had to be that tree. And God chose the tree. God chose the tree... To say this is what I don't this is this is the choice I don't want you don't want you to make as far as the whole Calvinism and Arminianism whether we're predestined or uh, again now that is a whole another another topic um, for.
1: but in, in that when your free will okay you can choose to do the right thing or the mm-hmm. wrong thing but you can't choose your consequences right I mean that's That's really what it comes down to. You have a free will to do right. You know, it's either right or it's either wrong. Mm -hmm. But if you choose the wrong, then you'll continually, you'll get the consequences.
0: Yeah, you have to deal with those consequences. Yeah, and the consequences of this was sin entering the world. And sin, the classic definition is, okay, acting independently of God. And what sin means is death and separation. From this point on, we were separated from God. Okay, we were separated from God. And we would remain separated from God until we got that bridge, that Jesus, to be able to close that gap for us. But even in that, even as Jesus died on the cross, conquering sin and death, rose from the dead, even though he was our perfect lamb, the blood of Jesus cleanses us, we still have that choice to either choose Jesus and open that gift or to reject him. And continue in our separation. And I say continue because as we thought, there's that misnomer that God, will, God throws people to hell. God doesn't throw anybody to hell. People are already separated and going there. Hell literally is separation. We are already separated, but God gives us the choice to choose Jesus and allow him to pay our debt. All right, I'm going to pray, and then if there's any other questions, I I will be here um, up front to, to answer those. Next week, we're going to get into another tough issue for skeptics out there, and this is Noah and the ark and the flood. the whole worldwide um, flood and what that meant and why would God be so mean to all that kind of fun stuff. That's going to be next week. So if you want to read ahead, get into Genesis 6 through 9, um, that'll catch us up um, for next week. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son to die on the cross in our place. Heavenly Father, I just pray as Christians and I believe most of us in here are as followers of you that we will understand the absolute gravity of sin and we understand what it means to act independently of your plan for our lives. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that that if we ask Jesus into our heart and ask for forgiveness of our sins and turn our life over to Him, we will be justified. Our penalty will be taken care of. But Heavenly Father, give us the burden to understand that there are people still separated from God. And we have the burden, we have the calling, we have the command to go and tell and invite Give us the wisdom to see things the way you see them. Give us the wisdom to live a life worthy of the call. Heavenly Father, I do lift up Cornerstone this Sunday. I pray that your message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is presented loud and clear. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bring those who need to hear you, that need to have your love. Heavenly Father, use us to spread the word. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for those who came out to the mind. Um, give us the wisdom to not merely listen to the word, but to go out and do what it says. Give us the, the power and the strength. Give us that armor to stand up against Satan's schemes in our life and those temptations, whether they're physical, mental, emotional, whether they're spiritual, whatever it is. That you give us the strength in you, in your word, in your son, to stand firm. We love you. We praise you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much for coming out. If you have any questions, we'll grab you up front. See you guys next week.